I am Tiagi Lisa, and this is Tiagi Peter, and it's our joy to share Sunday service with you today. So we will begin with reading from Rays of the One Life, Light, <clears throat> Commentaries of the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. And today's reading is In Surrender Lies Victory. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. A case might be made for surrender as a path to victory in worldly conflicts, the way of passive resistance, for example, in preference to armed resistance. But our point here concerns a higher kind of surrender, the surrender of our deluded egoic will to the wise and almighty will of God. Human will is, as Paramahansa Yogananda used to say, guided by whims and limited understanding. The divine will is in harmony with every level of reality. Though the divine will sometimes appears to us at first to be wrong, it proves always, eventually, to be for our highest good. Human will is inconsistent. It leads us one day to success, another to disaster. The divine will, when we surrender to it completely, though it is not always easy to do, always brings us deep inner peace and joy in the end. Jesus Christ demonstrated this perfect surrender to God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was captured and imprisoned, preparatory to his crucifixion. He went apart from the others to pray and asked them to pray also. But when he returned to them, he found them asleep. Out of his love for them, he excused them, saying, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He then urged them again, saying, Watch and pray. Their weakness in those circumstances was particularly sad and the disciples themselves must have regretted it bitterly later on. We all know the symptoms of human weakness, though we may excuse them in ourselves, saying, well, after all, I'm only human. But what are the signs of true strength? We find in all cases that these are the fruit of a life wholly surrendered to God. The Bhagavad Gita lists these signs in the 13th chapter. Humbleness, truthfulness, and harmlessness, patience and honor, reverence for the wise, purity, constancy, control of self, contempt for sense delights, self-sacrifice, perception of the certainty of ill in birth, old age, and frail mortality, disease, the ego's suffering, and sin. Detachment, lightly holding the thoughts of home, children, and wife, those ties which bind most men. An ever-tranquil heart, heedless of good or adverse fortune, with the will upraised to worship me alone unceasingly. Loving deep solitude and shunning noise of foolish crowds, Calm focus on the self-perceived within and in infinity. 
These qualities reveal true wisdom, Prince. All that is otherwise is ignorance. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. This is from Yogananda's book of mystical poems and prayer demands, Whispers from Eternity. This one's called, O Divine Sculptor, Chisel Thou My Life. Every sound that I make, let it have the vibrations of thy voice. Every thought that I think, let it be saturated with the consciousness of thy presence. Let every feeling that I have glow with thy love. Let every act of my will be impregnated with thy divine vitality. Let every thought, every expression, every ambition be ornamented by thee. O divine sculptor, chisel thou my life according to thy design. Several years ago, a friend of mine uh, loaned me a DVD that he had been watching. Uh, He knew I was interested in surfing because we'd both been surfers when we were much younger in Southern California. And the name of this documentary was called Riding Giants. And it was about this very elite group of surfers that uh, would travel to very specific places on the planet where these enormous waves, 30 feet or higher, would occasionally occur, usually several times a year. There'd be places on the planet where these 30-foot storm waves would occur. And he had spent, the one fellow who was being interviewed that uh, really struck me had been uh, surfing for 20, 25 years, had been in competitions, was really considered a a world-class surfer. But this was the first time that he'd ever gone to a situation where he'd be surfing and riding one of these boomers or giants. And he said it was a most remarkable experience because uh, the waves moved much faster than he was used to, the more 10, 15-foot waves that he'd practiced on. And He said it was uh, a really remarkable experience, and he said, you have to understand that right at the moment you're catching the wave, the noise is so astounding, it's like standing two feet away from a freight train rushing by you. You're getting buffeted around by the wind trying to knock you off your surfboard, and your surfboard itself is vibrating a little bit like you're in an earthquake. And... Then you look over the edge and you realize it's 30 or 40 feet down the front of this basically virtual, uh, virtually uh, vertical face that you're going to have to ride down. And he actually said, the first time I did this, I kind of thought to myself, was this a very good idea? <laughs> right when he was at that point. And... He, he made a couple very interesting points. He said, because these, these waves move so fast, you have to swim as hard as you can to catch the wave. And the ride itself is so buffeted that it takes every single ounce of your energy, 
every bit of your strength, all your concentration, and you have to call on every bit of your experience that you've had previously to be able just to stay on your board and write it. And the options aren't very good if you fall off. It usually means you end up getting boomed along with the wave when it crashes. And after he'd ridden his first wave, he said he was actually so exhausted a friend had to tow him into the beach. He couldn't even paddle his surfboard anymore. And he actually made a couple interesting comments, and it struck me because it reminded me very much of the spiritual path. He said, you know, it's interesting, but the bigger the wave, the faster you have to be moving to be able to catch it. Uh, And he said, in fact, most people nowadays, if they're going to be riding giants, riding these giant boomer waves, what they will do is actually have somebody on a jet ski, you know, one of these things that looks like a motorcycle that you ride on the water that can go 20 or 30 miles an hour, tow you up to the point at which you're going to catch the wave so you'll be moving fast enough to catch it. The second thing that he said is that it's remarkable, but... On smaller waves, you have a lot of option about how you ride the wave. You can do tricks on it. You can just ride it simply. Many different options. But the bigger the wave, the fewer your options. In fact, it's very obvious on these giant waves who's in charge. The wave (laughs) dictates everything, and there's only one way to ride it. Well, it struck me this is very much like the process of being on the spiritual path, that the process of joining ourselves to this torrent of joyful, blissful energy that is incredibly powerful. Remember, this is the spiritual power that allowed Jesus and the other great uh, Christ-like saints to raise the dead and perform other miracles. This is the same power that we're asking fill us and flow through us and to transform us to become Christ-like ourselves. When we're in that flow, that tremendous river of consciousness, we feel unending joy, and it feels like it will never, ever stop. And that has been our only reality for our entire existence. When we came into existence as a soul, and when we leave, we will at our core be awake in this profound joy that is transforming and ever new. Every great thought that has ever been thought, the most profound wisdom is contained in this torrent of joy. And for us as seekers, when we come to the point that we realize we want to reunify ourselves with this torrent, it's very helpful if we have a jet ski to get us moving fast enough. (laughs) that we can actually merge into it. And that's where Kriya Yoga comes in. That's where the guru comes in to aid us, to help us. Because you have to be quite sure about this. This is going to take every bit of your energy, every bit of your concentration, every bit of your experience from your life to this point to allow you to be able to merge into this flow of the divine. You know, it's very curious, our talk today is about the concept of surrender on the spiritual path. And the word surrender comes from the French surrender, 
and literally means to give oneself over. It was originally a military term or a legal term that, uh, you know, when you run out of ammunition and you really can't fight anymore, you're exhausted, you have no food, no water, your only option is to give yourself over to the enemy, to surrender. And on the spiritual path, it has really a rather different meaning because we're not waiting until we have nothing left and sort of, what's the point? I might as well be a devotee. (laughs) We're very consciously offering all who we are, all the positive things, all the negative things that we have as part of our personality and our being, and offering them into this tremendous torrent of grace. So it's really more of a a process of attunement or self-offering rather than capitulation or abject surrender. You know, I have always found it very interesting that um, Swami included in our purification ceremony, which we do before each one of our Sunday services, so if any of you have never come to that before, that's a good thing to come for. We do a fire ceremony and also do a purification ceremony as part of that. And the minister says, uh, well, the aspirant comes up and says, I seek purification by the grace of God. And the minister replies, the master says, open your heart to me, and I will enter and take charge of your life. I remember when Swami first wrote that, it struck me as very odd because I caught myself being a little resistant every time I said that. It was like, well, come on in. I don't know what else to do. (laughs) There was a part of me that felt like I was giving up, and it took me a while to understand how subtly he meant that. It's, again, it has to be with all our energy, with our full consent, please come in and work with me. Please come in and work on my karma. Please come in and help me with my desires. Come in and change me, because under your hands, under your guidance, I can change in a way that will make me spiritually saintly. Master used to say frequently, I go through all your souls every night and correct anything I see that needs to be changed. And then he would follow it very quick with, quickly with, I do that with those that allow me to. I never come in and do that unless someone has asked me to. So it really is a process of saying, please come in and change me. Please come in and transform me. And when that door is open, the great ones can come in and help us and work with us. Being on the spiritual path demands a lot of mental toughness. In fact, you know, I was trying to think of many of the qualities that I observed in Swami Kriyananda during his lifetime. And one of the ones that I was always most impressed with was how persistent and resolved he was about the spiritual life and how tough he was about staying right on course and not giving in to his own desires for having things a certain way. In fact, I realized at one point that I would see people doing things around him that 
I thought, boy, that must really annoy him. <laughs> or, boy, that person is really wasting his time. And he's not really saying anything about it. And I saw this go on long enough that I realized that he was doing that very consciously. He could have corrected every single person. It might have been helpful for them to hear that. But it was not the way he worked with people, that he would often let them kind of work out their behaviors around him um, in ways that I think many would find difficult. But he would always do it with this real graciousness, this real kindness, this understanding that we're all in process. We're all in this, uh, in this time of change. The aspirants. But for all of us, we really have to be quite mentally tough to do this and remember what we're doing, that our primary goal in our life has to be the spiritual search. Um, you know, I think there's many people that are very content just to come and do something spiritual once a week and not think about it at all for the rest of the week. Actually, I'm going to give us all homework today before we end, just, uh, just so we have something to uh, take this Sunday service along with us. <clears throat> you know, and it, it's actually a very curious thing. You know, I was just talking about this concept of seeing kind of the persistence and mental toughness that Swami had. And very often when you see people who think that they're very good at mental toughness, they're often very good at being tough with other people, but not very good with being tough with themselves. And I think that's what Swami really illustrated with this, is that when you have that kind of resolute spiritual toughness as part of your, uh, your spiritual search, that you end up being very kind with other people and more austere with yourself. I remember... Uh, I think I'd been coming here to Ananda for about three years. I'd had Kriya for about three years. And uh, I had just finished up my medical training. I'd just gone through my internship and uh, had finally come back to live here at Ananda and was very happy about being back. And um, during my internship, a lot of friends from the community had come down and visited me and kind of kept my spirits alive. But I'd probably been back about three or four days and was still catching up on sleep. Um, And uh, I was at some function at the end of it. Swami asked me if I would help him move some pieces of furniture in his apartment. And I came down. We moved him around. And uh, we sat down afterwards. And he said, so, what are you planning on doing? And I said, well, honestly, I hadn't thought about it too much. And he said, oh, well, good. Um, you know, you really don't need to practice medicine. And I said, excuse me? And he said, no, 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 no. I just don't see it. You shouldn't do medicine. I, I, don't, I don't think you should do it. And I was so, and at this point, you know, I just finished 10 years of training and had $40,000 plus in debt for my education. And um, I think I just sort of sat there with my mouth open for about 10 seconds and said, Oh, (laughs) probably said something like, okay. And uh, it was very curious for the next couple of years, even the few times where I had a situation where I was asked to uh, come work in a medical environment, it always seemed to fall through. It was the oddest thing. A friend of mine down in the Bay Area said, 
called me up once and said, oh, Peter, I'm just hoping you're the 20th friend I've called. No one can help us out. They were working at some big uh, intake center for some aspect of the federal government where every weekend people from all over Northern California would come to have these intake physicals and get some training. And they had physicians who came in and actually did the physical examinations for people. And um, he said, you know, at this point, I would just love it if you could come down for one weekend, but we could actually use you for about five weekends. You know, several people have quit. Many of the staff's been out sick. Um, please, just as a favor to me, would you please come do this? Just call our human resources person and we'll get you signed up. And uh, frankly, as long as you don't show up drunk, they'll take anybody. <laughs> Very encouraging. But it's, he was a good friend. I thought, okay, I'll go do this. So I talked to the fellow on the phone. This was pre-internet days, so you actually had to talk to a human being. <laughs> and uh, he'd done the whole interview. We were wrapping up. He had all my information. He said, boy, this sounds great. You know, could you even come this next week? And I said, sure, I'll come. We'll do it. And he said, oh, you know, I don't think you should do this. And I said, why? He said, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Is it, and I said, I don't mind, I'm, you know, I know I'm coming from, you know, outside Auburn, you know, all outside Sacramento, I don't mind the drive. He said, no, no, we have people come from Reno, physicians that come down from Reno and do this, so that's not the problem. And I said, well, okay, so I'm coming. And he said, no, no, you're not supposed to do this, don't do it. And he hung up the phone. And I saw this friend of mine about two years later at a conference, and I said, boy, you know, I don't know what happened with all that. I really did my best to offer to come down. And they didn't want me. And he said, yeah, I was really mad at you that you never showed up. <laughs> and actually, I had two or three other experiences like that over several years. And then after, after a few more uh, years of that, uh, I finally realized there was a need for medical care in the community, and I asked Swami, would it be all right to open a small medical clinic that could take care of us and our neighbors? I figured probably keep me busy about one day a week. Um, there just weren't that many people living out here. We're young and healthy. And he said, yeah, that's definitely what you do. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Sounds like a good idea. And uh, the first day we were open, I saw 10 patients. And that was the fewest I ever saw. And it was full time from then on out. And uh, several years after that, I actually asked him, I said, now, you really want me doing medicine? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's what you should be doing. You need to do this. God would be displeased with you if you did not do this. So how do we make sense of, no, you don't need to do medicine, don't ever do medicine, to, oh, yes, not only should you do this, but God would be displeased with you. Well, because I was going through a process, and at different points I needed different things, and I was lucky enough to have someone like Swami Kriyananda to help guide me and make that as a definite su suggestion, and I was open to it. That was one thing, is I really allowed his comments to be there and to take them seriously. Remember, the key to the spiritual path is about attunement. And the more we can relax and offer ourselves into this process of spiritual development, the more 
God can work on us, the more Master can work on us and begin to change those things in us that need to be changed. If you're someone who um, is not meditating, learn to meditate. That will help increase your energy so you can merge into this flow, this divine power, this river of consciousness that is always flowing. It's, the Om is just booming in this current of divine joy and bliss. But we have to raise our energy to it. It will not come down to us. We have to raise our, raise our energy to it. And Kriya Yoga particularly will help you do that. If you're someone who's been thinking about taking Kriya, take it. Get started. Work on it. It's a very slow process. But gradually over time, you will be changed. You will be transformed. The master will work on you. He'll change all those little desires, all those little bits of past karma that make you feel like, I don't even belong on the spiritual path. He'll change it till you couldn't imagine being anywhere else but right here, right now, on the spiritual path, doing precisely what I'm doing. So our little bit of homework for this week will be, pick one thing in your life that has not been working for you. Maybe it's a relationship, someone that every time you bump into them or have to work with them, there's always friction or um, it's unhappy in some way. Or maybe you have trouble getting your sadhana started each day and you tend to sort of dally around and not really sit down and get started. Um, or maybe you're having a physical health problem that's really bothering you and is interfering with every aspect of your life. One of the prayers that Master suggested we do in situations like that is, I will reason, I will will, I will act, but guide thou my, we, my reason, will, and activity. So this will be our prayer this week, is as you go through the week and you feel yourself bumping up against those resistances that are preventing us from going deeper spiritually, Take this as a prescription that bring that prayer in. I will reason, I will will, I will act, but guide thou my reason, will, and activity. See this as a chance to draw Master into your life, to call on his power. I mean, he's just waiting there to help us. And it's usually us that are ignoring him. It's usually us that are not asking for the help. We're trying to do it with our little one-horsepower motor, our little tiny bit of human energy, which is really not very much, when this ocean, this torrent of energy, is trying to come in and help us. So, I will reason, I will will, I will act, but guide thou my reason, will, and activity.